0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Let's have your Bibles. Open them with me to Acts chapter 10. I want you to imagine something with me. Can you all do that? Imagine a time where the the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, the hope of eternal life is something that you just hear about in other people, but yet it's completely foreign from the standpoint that you can't have it. I mean, you hear about what God is doing in the lives of other people. You hear about what God is doing through Jesus. You see the church growing. You see the church flourishing. You hear how God has changed the lives of other people. So you, you, you hear the testimony of the gospel. You see the effect of the gospel. You see the church growing because of the gospel. But yet it, you can't have it. It's for somebody else. It's not for your kind of people. It's only for the Jews. So as a Gentile, you sit back and you hear about it and you see it, but yet it's something that you in your mind wish, you know what, I I wish I could experience what they're experiencing. I wish I could have the joy that they have. I wish I could be part of the growth of the church like they are. I wish I had the hope of eternal life and I wish I, I could have this forgiveness of sins that I hear about. But Yet you live in a time where it's completely inaccessible to you. It's, it, it's for someone else. I mean, wouldn't that be miserable? I mean, wouldn't it be miserable to know that other people have hope that goes beyond the grave, but you don't? Wouldn't it be miserable to know that other people have the hope of eternal life, but yet you cannot have it? Well, in the book of Acts, that's kind of what's happening. See, for the early years of the church and throughout the history of the nation of Israel, that was the mentality of the Jewish people. God is for us. He is not for anyone else. God wants us to worship Him, but He does not desire the worship of anyone else. The Messiah that came is for us, the Jews, but it is not for the Gentiles. The salvation that we enjoy and the, the, the family of faith, the community, the church that we are a part of is for us, but it's not for anyone else. Well, when you come to Acts chapter 10, that has been the mentality, but in Acts chapter 10 is when all of that begins to change. I want to remind you of what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 said. It says but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you'll be my witnesses and then there's four areas mentioned Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That verse not only presents to us what our mission should be that we are to take the gospel locally, regionally, globally but it also provides us the overall structure of the book. So Jerusalem is the focus of Acts 1 through 7. Judea and Samaria is the focus of Acts 8 and 9. And the ends of the earth is the focus from Acts chapter 10 through the end of the chapter. Now before we dive into this chapter, we have to understand a little bit of Jewish history. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? You're like, just what I came for. I think you'll find this interesting, but it will also help you understand some of the cultural challenges that we're going to read about in a few moments. The Jewish people were a very proud people... In fact, you probably heard that they hated the Samaritans because they were not pure Jews. They called them half-breed dogs. They could not fathom God wanting to save a Samaritan. God wouldn't want a Samaritan in his family. Why would God want to save a Samaritan? But the one thing that the Jews, the one thing that this people hated more than the Samaritans were the Gentiles. Jews would have nothing to do with Gentiles. They would not stay in the homes of a Gentile as their guests. They would rather sleep on the street than stay in the home of a Gentile. Dirt from Gentile countries was considered defiled. And so if a Jew had been walking through a Gentile territory, before they entered back into Jewish territory, they would shake the dust off of their feet. You've heard that saying? That's where it began. If they were walking through a Gentile territory, right when they would get to the border, the line, they many times would take their sandals off and they would dust the dirt off their sandals before entering in Jewish territory because they didn't want to bring defiled dirt into Jewish area. Jews were not, would not eat food prepared by Gentile hands. You see the hatred We see these cultural barriers. So later in the book of Ephesians, when we read Paul writing that there is one church and it's not Jew or Gentile, we all come together, that mentality that Paul writes about in Ephesians 2 was still foreign here at the beginning of Acts chapter 10. The Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. The Jews didn't think God wanted to save Gentiles. The Jews didn't think the Messiah came for the Gentiles. The Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them or communicate the message of Christ to the Gentiles. They basically said, God is for us, you're on your own. That was the culture. See, before the gospel could be preached to all nations and embraced by all nations, there was a barrier a cultural barrier that had to be broken down. And while it's true that the focus of Paul's ministry was to the Gentile people, this is where that ministry began in the life and the ministry of Peter and in Cornelius. What we see taking place in Acts 10 and what Pastor Jason read to us about is a huge cultural shift and a huge change in how people were thinking. For thousands of years, they said, God is our God. He is not your God. You can't have him. Is basically the mentality. But in chapter 10, that begins to change. What we really begin seeing happen is what the title is you see it on the screen that the grace of God really is and was a grace for every race, every nationality, every people group. So when we read in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, that God loves all nations, it's tied to this. And we'll see that more here in just a minute. What I want to do this morning is walk through this narrative. Acts chapter 10 is a long chapter. We're not going to read every verse or look at every verse. But through this chain of events that take place, we see some crucial truths for your life and for the life of our church. If you're taking notes, here's number one. We need to understand that God made preparation for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. God made preparation for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. The spread of the gospel was not something that happened accidentally. It was not something that just accidentally took place and the Jews accidentally told the Gentiles about the gospel. God was at work. God was laying a foundation that the rest of history would be built on. This preparation that God does for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles is done by way of visions to two people to Cornelius, and then also to Peter. Cornelius was a member of the Italian regiment. And in his vision, we're going to read this in just a moment, but he's told to go and get Peter. And as they are on their way to get Peter, Peter has a vision. I want you to see these visions in a couple of different verses. The first vision to Cornelius is seen in verse 3 and verse 4. It says that about three in the afternoon, he, Cornelius, distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius... Looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, What is it, Lord? There's the vision. We'll see what what was said in that vision in a moment. But there was the vision. This was God working in the life of Cornelius to lay the foundation for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. The vision to Peter is seen in verse 9 and verse 10. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop about noon. Then he became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state. Again, God is at work in the life of Peter through a vision. God is at work in the life of Cornelius through a vision. But what God is doing in both of these individuals is laying the foundation for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. See, the spread of the gospel to all nations was God's idea, it was God's plan, it was something that God arranged. God was sovereignly working to lay the foundation and lay the groundwork for the gospel to be spread. Here's a point of application for us. When you and I agree to Unite together for the purpose of missions and to unite together to live on mission. In essence, what we are doing is not coming up with something new. We are simply aligning ourselves with the vision and the mission of God. The gospel being spread to the nations is God's heart. The gospel being spread to the nations is is God's will, it's God's desire. So when you and I as a church say we want to be committed to the spread of the gospel both locally and globally, what we are doing is aligning ourselves with what God has already communicated He wants to do. Now this is far different from what often happens. Far, off, far more often what we do is we come up with our own plan and our own agenda and our own events and our own programs, and we turn to God and we say, God, bless what we're doing. But what God would rather us do, and rather than asking Him to bless our agenda, what God would rather us do is for us to align with His agenda. Rather than standing up and saying, God, this is what we want to do. Please bless this. We need to get on board with what he has already said he is blessing. We need to get on board with what he is already doing. I mean, throughout Scripture, and we're going to see this more in the coming weeks, especially in October in our missions month, we're going to see that God has a heart for the nations. And when you and I commit to missions and commit to live on mission and commit to take the gospel locally and globally, what we are doing is aligning ourselves with the will of God, the heart of God, the plan of God, the passion of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is one of my favorite verses and it instructs us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But that key phrase is sometimes missed. We are to be abounding in the work of the Lord. It It is easy to ask God to bless our work, but what God instructs you and I to do is to get on board with his work to commit, to be steadfast, to be unmovable, to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, what is the work of the Lord? Well, the work of the Lord is the mission that He has given us. We have to align. Why? Because we understand that God cares about the nations. Number two, this vision was given to Cornelius and Peter, but what we see secondly is that Peter and Cornelius modeled obedience and submission. So in these visions, there are commands that are given, right? So in verse 5 through 6, you see the command given to Cornelius. Notice what it says. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. We talked about what it meant to lodge with a tanner last week. But I want you to see the obedience down in verse 7 and verse 8. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household slaves and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So God gives Cornelius a vision. In this vision, God tells Cornelius what to do. Cornelius awakes from this vision and obeys. He submits to what God said. He says, this is what you told me to do. This is what I will do. He obeyed and he submitted. The command to Peter is seen in verse 19 and 20. So Peter also has a vision. Verse 19, while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. So how did Peter respond? Look at verse 22. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright And God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in, gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them. So God gives him a vision. Go. He wakes up. And what does he do? Goes. Again, obedience and submission. So God was laying the groundwork for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, but a key component to the gospel being spread to the Gentiles was the obedience and the submission of Cornelius and Peter. Now, I want you to notice Peter's vision. Look at it, verse 11. He saw heaven open and an object that re- resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. And in it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Interesting vision. Why was this such a big deal? Understand the cultural implications of this. Peter, a Jew, strove to... Abide by all 613 of the Old Testament laws, ceremonial laws, purification laws, moral laws. And in their mind, what you ate, the dietary restrictions that they went by and they abided by made them more holy and more acceptable to God. What they did not understand was that the plan for all of these laws was ultimately to point them to the truth that they could not be holy enough and they could not be righteous enough. And no matter how many laws of ceremony and how many laws of purification, they could never make themselves pleasing to God. It was all designed to point them to... Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, who could be their holiness, who could be their righteousness. So when he has this vision, God is basically telling him, those dietary and ceremonial laws that you've been following are no longer binding because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in Peter's mind, understand this. For centuries, the Jewish people had had certain dietary restrictions and certain dietary laws, and now God is telling him, you can eat bacon. (laughs) Amen. Amen. This is more about, more than just about food and diet. What God is telling Peter is, I am not just for you. And the message of Christ is not just for the Jews. The message of Christ is for the Gentiles. And these things that you, 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 you held to, these 613 laws that you, that, you, that you struggled to keep each and every day, were ultimately designed to show you that you needed a savior. They were designed to make you distinct from the nations, but now because of Christ, they are no longer needed, and so you don't have to abide by that anymore. And God is laying the foundation for the ministry to the Gentiles, who for centuries had nothing to do with the dietary restrictions. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. So for a Jew to go into Gentile territory and to tell them, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you have to eat this, God is telling Peter, no, it's not about what you eat. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about the ceremonial laws. It's about what Christ has done. And it is not about dietary restrictions. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just for you. It is for all people. But what I don't want you to miss is that in this preparation, it also required the obedience and the submission of Cornelius and Peter. But this was a natural barrier in Peter's mind that would have prevented him from presenting the gospel to the Gentiles. This vision prepared him for the moment that we're reading about in our text where he is standing in the midst of Gentiles. And in this standing in the midst of Gentiles, he acknowledges these barriers that exist. Look at verse 27. While talking with him, he went on in and found many had come together in this place. Many Gentiles who had gathered together. And Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jew, Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. Do you see the cultural aspect here? He said, I'm not really supposed to be here. As a Jew, I should not be associating with Gentiles, but God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. He's saying the prejudice in my heart is wrong, but this was a barrier he had to overcome. I want you to notice the third thing, and this is in my mind where the story gets good, all right? Number three, salvation is presented to the Gentile world. So up to this point, salvation had been restricted to the Jews. In Acts 8 and 9, we saw salvation being presented to Judea and Samaria. Now it's presented to the Gentile world. Look at verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. Now, I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. Peter is standing up and he is stating the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. Now, why did Peter in verse 34 have to state that now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism? Why did he say that? Because before, he thought God showed favoritism. Before, in his mind, God was for the Jews. The gospel was for the Jews. Grace was for the Jews. Salvation was for the Jews. In his mind, God did not want anyone else except the Jews. But now he stands up and says, Now I understand it is for all. In verse 35, in every nation, not just Jewish nations, in every nation, the person who fears him is acceptable to him, God opened his eyes to the truth that the gospel is for all people. Look at verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that through his name everyone, or you could say anyone, who believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. So here's what's interesting about this. Peter is talking to them. And he's saying, the gospel is available not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And he says, now that my eyes have been opened, I see that all the way through the Old Testament, through the writings of the prophets, that God loves all people and desires that all people be saved. And so that every name, everyone, anyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sin. Now listen, that is good news for you and I this morning. You know why? 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 I didn't understand any of that, but we fall into the category of people who the Jews, most of us anyway, fall into the category of the people that the Jews looked at and said, the gospel's not for you. We fall into the category of people that, according to the Jews and their understanding, fell outside the the reach of God's grace. We're the people that, according to the Jews and their mindset at this time, did not have any hope of salvation did not have any hope of eternal life. And because of the ministry of Cornelius and Peter, and ultimately God laying the foundation for this, you and I have access to the gospel and can understand the gospel and can have the hope of eternal life. And if we trace it all the way back, we come right back here to Acts chapter 10. This is where it began. And if it were not for this taking place, I wonder if we would still be those people who God didn't want in their minds. See, God was working, God was laying the foundation because God wanted us to understand that all people can be saved. It's not just for the Jews. So the gospel is presented, and as we continue looking at this chapter, we see the fourth component of this, and it's that the Gentiles experience God's power. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised, catch this, I want you to see again the, the cultural challenges here. The circumcised believers, referring to the Jews who had come with Peter, were astounded because the gifts of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. You know what they're saying? I didn't know they could be saved. You mean God can save Gentiles? God wants Gentiles to be saved? They were astounded. So again here, we see the structure of the book of Acts. Every time the gospel is presented to a new group of people, God's power is poured out through His Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the gospel is presented for the first time in Jerusalem to the Jews. In Acts 8 and 9, the gospel is presented to those in Judea and Samaria. And God poured out His power through His Spirit again. Here in Acts 10, the gospel is being presented to the ends of the earth, or the Gentiles. And God's power is being poured out through His Spirit. Each and every time, God is demonstrating and God is showing... I want all people to be saved and so that we understand later in the New Testament that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God desires all people to be saved. Romans 1.16, that the gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He is writing and he is telling them, God wants us to know that all people fall under the reach of God's grace that there is no one, no matter your nationality, no matter your race, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, we all have access to the grace of God. Number five, the Gentiles respond, and we see them following God. The Gentiles follow God. Verse 47, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles, like the Jews, demonstrated their faith in Christ by way of baptism. This this was not just some form of easy believism where they prayed a prayer and then everything. This was a commitment to to, to, to who Christ was and what Christ had done. They wanted everyone around them to understand that their commitment was to Christ. And so they were baptized publicly to boldly and publicly say, He is my Lord and He is my Savior. Number six, the Gentiles desired Christian fellowship. I want you to notice the last phrase of verse 48. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Now you may think there's no significance in this, but I want you to picture this with me. You have a group of Jews who doesn't think God wants to save Gentiles. In the same room, you have Gentiles Who before didn't know God wanted to save them that now understand the gospel and have been saved and have been baptized. What was it that brought them together? Was it their cultural background? Absolutely not. Was it their experiences? No. Was it that they went to the same church? No. What provided unity for these Jews who five minutes earlier didn't know that God wanted to save Gentiles, and these Gentiles who maybe days earlier didn't know that God loved them and wanted them to have a relationship with Him. You have these people from different backgrounds, and what brings them together is faith in Christ. That's what provides unity. And what should unify us here this morning is our shared relationship with who Christ is, what He has done, and the mission that He has given us. I heard one person say this past week that if there is an issue in the church that everyone agrees on, then maybe that's what's providing your unity. See, the reality is we can walk in this morning and we can have different ideas and we can have different preferences and we can have different backgrounds and we can even speak different languages and we can come from different parts of the country. But what allows us to be unified is the fact that we have a relationship with Christ and we know what Christ has called us to do. I mean, some of you come in this morning and you... you, you love one style of music and others love another style of music and some of you come and you have this in your background and others you have this in your background. You know what? We can all stand together and link arms because no preference should ever distract us from the mission that God has given us. It shouldn't. See, one thing I understand is that there are thousands of people who need Jesus Christ. There are places around the world this morning who have still not heard the name of Jesus There are people in our community who need Christ. Do you all believe that? I heard this past week that we have 50 people a day moving into our region. 50 people a day. So let's do some math. If we want those 50 people a day to be reached, here's what we have to do. We have to start a new church every other week, and that new church has to immediately be running 300 just to reach the new people coming in. That doesn't even address the 90% of people who are already here who are not going to church. Start a new church every other week and have that church start off with 300 people. Think that's going to happen? Or if we don't want to start churches, then all established churches need to grow by 250 people a year just to reach the new people coming in. Now, again, that doesn't even address the 90% of unchurched people who are already here. Isn't that astounding? So what are we going to do? Are we going to plant a new church every other week this next year and hope that they run 300? Or Is every existing church going to grow by 250 people? I mean, there are thousands of people coming in. One person after the service this morning said, can we help? Can we show them Jesus and let them get saved and send them back where they came from? <laughs> but don't miss this point. One of the things that we learn from Acts chapter 10 is that God desires all people to know him. And see, what what we are tempted to do, what what churches often are tempted to do is to come up with their programs and their events and their activities, and they say, God, bless this. God, this is what we want to do, bless it. But what we need to do is understand what God's heart is and what God's agenda is and align everything we do with that. God desires that he be known and that he be worshiped and he wants all people to know him. And so if you lead a ministry or a class, the question that you need to ask yourself this morning is this. Am I asking God to bless what I want to do or am I actually aligning everything I'm doing with what God already already says he's blessing? Because God is not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. God loves the nations. God wants all people to know him. His desire is that all people everywhere submit to him and give their life to him. This is what God has promised to do. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not pre." Veil against it. This is what he has promised to bless the furthering of his kingdom, the spread of the gospel, people being saved, lives being changed. So instead of being over here saying, God bless this or God bless this, let's bring everything right here where we already know God's blessing. Let's unite behind this mission. And we can come from different backgrounds and different experiences and different ideas and different preferences. And we can link arms and we can say, we want people to know Jesus. And the only way that we have a chance of reaching the 50 new people who come here every day. And the only way we can reach the 90% of our population in this region who do not go to church anywhere is if we unite behind this mission is if we understand that the gospel is not just for us who are already saved. The gospel has come to us so that we can go and we can spread it to others. The gospel does not just exist for the congregation inside the walls of the church. The the gospel exists for all people. It is not a truth or a secret to be hoarded. It is salvation and hope to be spread. And so what some of us need to do this morning is to stop asking God to bless our agenda and us get on board with God's. What some of us need to do this morning is stop treating the gospel as though it's our little prize that we deserve and start treating it as the only hope that people out there need. What some of us need to do is to commit to having a church that unites behind the mission that God has given us and says it doesn't matter what it takes and it doesn't matter what it costs, we will pursue the spread of the gospel in everything, locally and globally. 50 people a day, that's a lot, isn't it? They will not be reached accidentally. 90% of our population does not go to an evangelical, Bible-believing church. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Seven billion people in the world. People groups who have not even yet heard once the name of Jesus. We have what they need. Will you join in uniting behind that mission? Will you join and commit to living a life that communicates the gospel and tells people this is what you need? Will you commit to our church being a church that says we want to, we, we want to align everything behind what we know God's already doing? Why? People need Jesus. It's simple, isn't it? People need Jesus. Let's unite behind that. Will you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And God, as we read about the gospel being spread to the Gentile world, God, it is a reminder for for all of us here that You desire all people to know You. That there is no one, no place that is beyond the reach of Your saving grace. Help us to understand that while You were laying the foundation You used people who were willing to obey and people who were willing to submit to you. You used Peter, who is willing to step outside of his comfort zone so that the gospel could be advanced. And God, some of us this morning, we need to be willing to step outside of our comfort zone for the advancement of the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us. As tempting as it is to set our own plans and our own events and our own programs and ask you to bless that, God, I pray that you would help us to align everything with the mission you have given us, that we would desire people to be saved, that we would long to see lives changed, that we would seek both locally and globally to spread the gospel of your great love. God, we love you this morning. I hope, pray that you would help us to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.